great British manufacturing podcast brought to you by MTD, MFG and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. On this week's podcast, we will discuss the positive British manufacturing news from the past seven days and introduce a special guest, Dr. Graham Cooley, the CEO of ITM Power PLC. And I'm also joined by Stuart Whitehead. Stuart, welcome. Hi, Joe. Lots of good news uh, this week and a fascinating guest. So very much looking forward to it. Yeah, plenty to get our teeth stuck into. So let, let's do that. Uh, a major new factory announcement to start this week's podcast. Yes, Sea Wind is to invest up to £300 million building the world's largest monopile manufacturing plant on Teesside. This is expected to create 750 direct jobs, a further 1,500 across the supply chain, and the factory will produce more than 100 monopiles per annum for the offshore wind industry. The factory was originally planned to be built at the Able Marine Park on the banks of the Humber, but will instead be built at the former steelworks site near Middlesbrough. Just incredible what's happening in the northeast, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. And, and uh, some of the more Midlands-based, Pol- uh, Polestar is set to open a new facility again here in the UK. Yeah, they've announced plans to open a, a research facility in the Midlands. Uh, this is a scoop from the Financial Times originally a couple of days ago. Um, the Swedish electric car manufacturer's investment, which is expected to be in the high tens of millions, is set to create 800 jobs ultimately. The Gothenburg-based um, firm's existing site in Nuneaton, which already employs 280 people, has developed the production platform for Polestar 5, and that's the brand's first, first model that uses its own proprietary technology. So, yeah, good news for automotive, good news for the Midlands. Absolutely, and, and I, I see a lot of those cars on the, on the road, actually. So uh, hopefully the R&D we put into them, they'll, we'll see more and more of them, and uh, obviously they'll keep uh, prospering as a business. But the next one, uh, SR Oil, they've announced major investment. I picked this one up a couple of days ago. It's, it's great news, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think Swarth Guru, um, your Twitter account, wrote this story. Um, the energy giant is set to install a new £45 million furnace at a standalone refinery that will be capable of using hydrogen, very appropriate for today's guest, as its fuel source, uh, which is a UK first. The announcement marks another significant milestone in SR's continued commitment to becoming the UK's first low-carbon refinery. And this follows the launch of Vertex Hydrogen last month, a new SR-led joint venture in which the company will invest £1 billion over the next five years to drive down emissions. And this will include the development of new hydrogen production plants at Stanlow. And that all forms a central part of the high net northwest decarbonisation cluster. So, uh, yeah, lots going on in uh which is uh, the site's just about 10 minutes away from me. So, yeah, exciting times. Indeed. And the next one, Orbex. I love this one because when we pull it out on social media, the actual announcement about Orbex and what they're trying to achieve, everyone was saying it's never going to happen here in the UK. What, what, what nonsense. But it's getting closer, Stu. No, absolutely. The first rocket launch pad constructed in the UK for more than 50 years is now in place at the Orbex test site in Kinross, uh, Kinloss in, in Scotland. Orbex LP1, as it's called, it's the first launch pad of its kind to be built in the UK since the High Dam Rocket Test Site facility in the Isle of Wight, which was decommissioned nearly 50 years ago. Full dress rehearsals of launch procedures for the Orbex Prime rocket can now take place at the test site. And Orbex Prime, for those people less familiar, is a micro-launcher designed to transport small satellites weighing around 150 kilograms to low Earth orbit. and this will eventually launch from its home spaceport at Sutherland in the north of Scotland. 
Yeah, and some of the videos and the, and the photography, as you'd imagine, are, the, are these things. It's astounding. I can't wait, can't wait for it to finally happen. Um, but let's take a, a brief pause for this week's manufacturing news, as I'd like to introduce this week's guest. Uh, it was no other than Graham Cooley, the CEO of ITM Power PLC. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You're more than welcome. Uh, we, we like to learn a little bit about you as well as your company. So to start with, can we hear about your career today, to your current role and your responsibilities, please? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Graham Cooley. I'm the CEO of ITM Power. I've been the CEO now for 12 and a half years. Uh, I started in the power industry. Actually, I started at the Central Electricity Research Labs uh, back in 1989 after having done a PhD in uh, physics and materials. Uh, uh, the CGB uh, was uh, privatised. Um, I ended up in National Power, which was the UK's largest power generator, and I was business development manager, uh, particularly interested in energy storage and new technologies uh, for uh, um, renewables, for instance, and um, carbon capture, but particularly um, energy storage. And I did a number of early stage technology companies uh, before joining ITM Power. Wonderful. And you mentioned ITM Power. Can you give us an overview of the company, please? Yeah, sure. So ITM is an electrolyzer manufacturer. Uh, we're based in Sheffield. Um, and um, at the beginning of last year, the beginning of uh, 2021, we were moved into the world's largest electrolyzer factory, which has a capacity of 1,000 megawatts or one gigawatt per annum. So we manufacture electrolyzers. Um, and an electrolyzer is a device that splits water uh, using electricity. So you use renewable power, you split water, and you make hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen is called green hydrogen because it's the only fuel, uh, the only energy gas that has no carbon in its entire supply chain. So not only are you producing uh, a zero carbon fuel, uh, but you're also storing huge amounts of renewable power. So that's why electrolyzers are interesting. Um, and we are scaling the production of electrolysis equipment and our partner, Linda Engineering, is scaling the deployment. That's fascinating. And obviously, we've heard a lot about your second factory in Sheffield. Can you tell us the, uh, the status and the investment and jobs and things like that, what, you know, what it's going to entail? Yeah, so we we raised uh, 250 million on the London stock market um, in October of last year. Um, this gives us resources of around 390 million today on our balance sheet. We outlined a plan to the city um, of moving from one gigawatt per annum of manufacturing capacity to five gigawatts per annum of manufacturing capacity by the end of 2024. So we're going to do that in two steps. So we're in the world's largest electrolyzer factory now. We're going to sweat that asset and build in parallel a second gigafactory in the UK of capacity one and a half gigawatts per annum, which will give us a total capacity in the UK of two and a half gigawatts per annum. And we'll be in and running that factory at the end of 2023. Um, we also have enough resources to build a two and a half gigawatt factory somewhere else in the world. 
and that will be demand driven. But that final step then gives us five gigawatts of electrolyzer manufacturing capacity. So that's our plan. Hi, Graeme, it's Stuart. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, fascinating to hear about your background and um, history of ITM. Um, my understanding is that ITM's electrolyzers make green hydrogen. There's blue, grey, purple, other types of hydrogen. What's the difference and why is green hydrogen so important? Yeah, so um, you can make hydrogen in a number of different ways, but basically the industry today makes it using natural gas. So um, you can derive hydrogen from fossil fuels. In fact, years ago, our gas grid used to have 60% hydrogen in it, and it was town gas, and it was actually made from coal. Uh, but most industrial hydrogen today is made from uh, natural gas. Um, the feedstock for green hydrogen is renewable power. So you're either making it with a feedstock of renewable power or you're using a feedstock of natural gas. One is highly carbonizing and the other one is zero carbon. So that's the reason for the transition uh, between one and the other. So uh, today, uh, the world uses 70 million tons of hydrogen for industry, and it's all made with natural gas. And really, that's the entry market for green hydrogen, is to decarbonize all of that industrial hydrogen. So first thing I'd like to say is we're not creating a market. There is a massive market for hydrogen today. It's industrial hydrogen. It's made using natural gas, and it's referred to as grey hydrogen. So let's start going through the colours. Grey hydrogen is very carbonising. Blue hydrogen is where you uh, reform natural gas, but then you sequester the CO2. This is called carbon capture and storage. Requires you to build, uh, not only maintain a methane infrastructure, but it also requires you to build a new hydrogen infrastructure and a new CO2 infrastructure for storage. Okay, um, it, it, you never get complete capture of the CO2 and you continue to maintain the methane infrastructure. And the problem with that is that you get emissions. So um, blue hydrogen, although less than grey hydrogen, has a very significant carbon footprint whereas green hydrogen made from renewable power has a zero carbon footprint if you use uh, renewable power to split the water. Green hydrogen also makes oxygen. And this is very important because when you make hydrogen using fossil fuels, even if you do carbon capture and storage, you do deplete atmospheric oxygen. Whereas uh, with uh, green hydrogen, it, the, the process makes its own oxidant, which is very important. And then, of course, when you use the hydrogen, you get all of the water back. So it is genuinely an energy storage technology. And then the final piece, which is worth noting, is that if you turn electrons, in other words, renewable power, into green hydrogen, you turn electrons into molecules. Molecules are storable for very long periods of time. Electrons are incredibly difficult to store. So what you're doing is you're storing very large amounts of renewable power as molecules, 
which you then can use to decarbonize industry, either uh, a production industry or indeed the gas grid. That's fascinating. And uh, thank you for explaining that so succinctly. Even I understood that, Graham. Um, and you took, we, we touched on before we used second factory in, in Sheffield and possibly third third factory overseas, um, scaling up. Um, UK Hydrogen Strategy says it wants to get five gigawatts per annum into the energy system by 2030. In your opinion, is that possible? And what stages have to be met to, to achieve that? So the UK government's strategy is actually five gigawatts by 2030. Yep. So it's in the next decade. Um, and, and there are many national schemes around the world. Uh, actually, Germany is five gigawatts uh, by 2030. Um, and actually, the new coalition government is increasing that to 10 gigawatts by 2030. Across the whole of Europe, 40 gigawatts, with imports of 40 gigawatts of um, green hydrogen from outside of Europe. That's 80 gigawatts. And all over the world, there are uh, uh, national targets. So uh, let me take the UK one uh, that you mentioned, 5 gigawatts. First um, articulated in Boris Johnson's 10-point plan, Actually, ITM Power uh, uh, was the case study uh, in that 10-point plan. And, and you would have seen that five of the points in that 10-point plan uh, had some relevance to green hydrogen, including its use in transport, as sustainable marine and aviation fuel, uh, energy storage for offshore renewable power, and the explicit target of five gigawatts over the next uh, decade. Is it achievable? We're in a one gigawatt per annum factory. Uh, so that's the first point. In, in the next 10 years, we would expect to produce uh, um, around 10 gigawatts. Well, that would be our capacity. Uh, we By the end of 23, we'll have a capacity of two and a half gigawatts per annum, which means we could manufacture that five gigawatt target across two years. So is it achievable in the next 10 years? Uh, very definitely. Um, but our aspiration is far larger than that. So our aspiration is to have five gigawatts per annum of manufacturing capacity by the end of 24. So uh, you can see our, tar our target, internal target, our aspiration, it is not to limit ourselves to the UK target, but to European targets and also targets all over the world. Yeah, it, that's, that's, that's great to hear, Graham. Absolutely great to hear. What, what, um, what is the future for the hydrogen industry here, uh, well, worldwide, but in particular here in the UK, do you think? So, um, uh, look, to me, the most important thing about the energy transition is that it also gears our economy. And actually, we need to think about it as an industrial transition um, as well as uh, an energy transition. In other words, very simply, we should be manufacturing the equipment that everyone else in the world is using. Um, so I, I, I feel very proud to be a British manufacturer, manufacturing technology that was uh, uh, developed in the UK, funded uh, in the early days uh, by many UK government grants, um, and we're now a world leader. But we also raised enough money 
to build capacity uh, in a way that often British companies don't. So, so there's, a, there's a kind of cottage industry mindset that we're very definitely not adopting. And, and by that mindset, what I mean is uh, companies that uh, very uh, carefully plan capacity, find it difficult to respond to rapidly uh, growing markets like the one that we're in, and find that other companies around the world build capacity ahead of the market and then achieve all of the big orders. And actually, we're not going to uh, be in that position. So I think we take an incredibly positive view of the market development. We're looking at the horizon. We're an international company with international partners. We have partners like Linda Engineering, our EPC partner. We've been working with Shell for more than half a decade. Um, SNAM, uh, the, the uh, world's second largest gas infrastructure company, is a strategic investor in ITM as well as uh, Linda. We work with Scottish Power and Iberdrola. We work with Orsted. We work with many oil and gas companies. So, so we're really looking at a, an incredibly rapidly developing market where we, we are a world leader. And uh, we look beyond the shores of the UK to a world market. And just a final question from me, Graham, if that's okay. And to be honest with you, it's a podcast within itself. Um, but why are we seeing, why are we not seeing as much uh, adoption in the automotive sector and in the actual vehicles themselves? Why, why are we not seeing cars we, we run on hydrogen? We see a lot of, obviously, uh, electric vehicles coming to the UK market, but why not hydrogen? Yeah, I mean, a, a small plug-in electric vehicle that you can drive around in a city that you can plug in at home is an easier entry into the market than uh, refueling unless the vehicle that you're refueling returns to base. So actually, uh, what you're looking at is uh, the entry market for hydrogen in transport. There are two, actually. One is heavy vehicles that value range, refueling time, and payload, but they, they go back to hubs for refueling. That, that is a very appropriate market for green hydrogen. And then the other one is e-fuels. This is the production of sustainable aviation fuel and sustainable marine fuel, uh, normally uh, either sustainable kerosene and methanol or ammonia. And, and those, all those fuels, e-fuels, begin with green hydrogen. Okay, so uh, uh, the, the, the reason why is that the entry market is those heavy vehicles that are being developed by um, OEMs but the key entry market today is not transport. The key entry market today is decarbonizing the existing hydrogen market, which is huge. So uh, 70 million tons a year, plus another 20 million for in-process hydrogen to make methanol, uh, that's equivalent to 600 gigawatts of electrolysis. And actually, if you read the IEA report, it says that the world needs three and a half thousand gigawatts of electrolysis in the next 29 years to get to net zero. And that's a massive number. That is a capital equipment market in the trillions. So,
So, uh, you know, we just decarbonizing the existing industrial hydrogen market it is a massive opportunity for a manufacturer like ITM Power. Quite. It, it sounds like ITM Power. It sounds like you're in a good place. Graham, thank you very, very much for coming on the, on the podcast. It's been an education. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for having me. Stuart, great interview and a great insight to the world of hydrogen. Absolutely fascinating and uh, learn so much as we always do from these interviews. And uh, please contact us if, you, you know, if, you're, if you've got a story, you've got uh, a development that you'd like to, to share with a wider audience, please get in touch with us. Yeah, and if you'd like to appear on the podcast, please reach out to us. Uh, you can find us on social media at, uh, at Jefferson underscore MFG, at Swarf Guru, at MTD MFG. We're easy to find. Please do take a look. Uh, also, drop us an email at podcast at mtdmfg.com. But getting back on the, in the news, we've got potentially some good news from uh, Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Yeah, not too much on this. It, this is a developing story. So um, the luxury car maker is reportedly set to invest millions of pounds expanding and upgrading its Goodwood manufacturing plant, which is currently up, running at near maximum capacity to meet record global demand. And as we put on a previous podcast um, last month, the, um, the manufacturer announced the highest annual sales in its 118-year history. So lots going on there. There's going to be new jobs, investments, and good news for them and good news for the UK supply chain. Yeah, and there's, and there's some more investment from an Indian-owned pharmaceutical company, isn't there, as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is Pyramal, Pyramal uh, Pharma Solutions. Um, they're going to invest around about £55 million in the UK. Um, they're a contract development, uh, pharmaceutical contract development and manufacturing company. They're expanding the Grangemouth facility in Scotland. They're also investing in, in a new um, active pharmaceutical ingredient infrastructure. It's Morpeth uh, facility in Northumberland. As I said, the, these the, these expansions and upgrades represent a total investment around £55 million. Um, and this will also lead to new employment opportunities for technical and operational staff in those locations. And it seems to be, we talk about gigafactories all the time, and it could be a new one built here in the UK. Yeah, an Anglo-Korean battery manufacturer is planning to build a gigafactory in Europe, with the UK deemed a possible location to produce up to 40 million cells a year by 2025. Eurocell, which is a joint venture between FIC and three uh, Korean battery tech firms, will invest around about £600 million in the facility, which will supply batteries for energy storage, as well as automotive and e-mobility applications. The firm claims it is considering three locations across Europe. Um, they are the UK, the Netherlands and Spain. Um, so, yeah, it might, might take a while to, to, uh, for this to be confirmed, but hopefully um, the UK will have its um, third gigafactory. Yeah, yeah, come on, pick the UK with the best place. We'll have it here. <laughs> uh, speaking of new factories, there's, there's a number number being announced at the moment, including two in Yorkshire and Ex, uh, Exeter, ex respectively. Yeah, I just picked out a couple uh, this week. So hybrid air vehicles, the manufacturer of Airlander 10, which is the world's longest aircraft, fascinating aircraft if you uh, see a video of it or uh, yeah. any, any footage. Um, they've announced plans to open a production facility within a new aerospace manufacturing cluster in the South Yorkshire region. So... Uh, not too many details at the moment, but I'm sure we'll be uh, uh, returning to this story in, in future podcasts. Um, and another one as well, which uh, was particularly well received on social media, um, um, there's a new factory under construction in, in Exeter. More than 300 people will be based at, um, at Stovax and Gasco's new £20 million factory when it opens this summer. Um, Stovax and Gasco's are the UK's largest stove and fireplace manufacturer. 
and they incredible export story that you know that they export their British made appliances to well over 25 countries so um, yeah I'm sure we'll uh, come back to that in the summer when it opens. Wonderful news and it's some really nice news to finish on isn't it we talk about multi-million pound factories billion pound giga plants and all the rest of it but manufacturers are continuing to offer opportunities for young people to join the industry aren't they? Yeah, no, we've just picked out a few here. I mean, obviously, it was National Apprenticeship Week last week, and there's been quite a few announcements. But, yeah, we've just picked um, picked three. Um, Aston Martin, they're invest- investing in the next generation of British engineers and manufacturers. More than 40 opportunities are available for apprentices, interns, and graduates to work at the car makers' plants in St. Athen and Gaydon. At um, 126 strong, intake of apprentices this year will be its biggest ever. The apprentices will play a key role in creating innovative solutions to meet some of the UK's greatest challenges. A uh, bit of uh, marketing speak there, I'm sure. Uh, each year, the defence giant spends more than half a billion pounds with over three 2,000 companies in the UK's supply chain. So very well invested in, in this country. And finally, Vika PLC, a Berlin, Burnley-based manufacturer of UPVC windows and doors, they're set to take on a record number of apprentices uh, this year. Also, there's plenty of others, and um, we, we 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 could have we could continue for the next half hour talking about uh, new apprentices and new apprenticeships and and uh, graduates being taken on. Joe, but yeah, just wanted to to make a selection ready. Yeah, yeah, and great news, isn't it? I love finish on you know a good old positive British manufacturing story. In this case, uh, labour and bringing younger engineers—not always younger, but younger engineers—into the, the manufacturing sector. So, what a great way to finish, Stuart. But uh, thank you ever so much for your time, as always. Big thank you to Graeme Cooley, the CEO of ITM Power PLC. But as always, the biggest thank you goes to you at home for listening. We'll see you next week. Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter using at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG.